following program is from the Latin Pulse archives, so some of the news items included are no longer current. This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week our focus returns to Central America and the end of this fall's election season. We'll have the final part of our series of in-depth interviews on election topics, with a preview of this weekend's presidential runoff in Guatemala. We'll also hear from a Salvadoran reporter about politics and conditions for free speech in her country. But first, we have a look at this week's highlights of news from around Latin America with Vanessa Jesus Gonzati. The Mexican Article 19 organization says there is a lack of political will from the government to protect journalists who suffer violence in Mexico. A representative of the organization, Cynthia Cárdenas, spoke at a hearing during the Inter-American Court of Human Rights meeting in Washington, D.C. last week. There are journalists who have stopped covering certain issues of public interest and that have certainly stopped denouncing the aggressions that they suffer. These attacks and the incapacity of the state or the lack of political will not only violates the right to freedom of speech, but also the right to life, to physical integrity, and to freedom. This impacts the government's obligation to protect human rights. She says there is a need for the government to implement new measures to protect the press, since so far the policies have not been successful enough. A Venezuelan journalist says the biggest challenge for the media in Venezuela is self-censorship. Eugenio Martinez of El Universal newspaper and Radio Caracas Radio says the problem with this issue is that it is difficult to prove. He covers the electoral beat. It's very difficult to prove because nobody, neither a person nor a company, is going to own up to having self-censored to continue enjoying some sort of privilege or to not lose the privileges they already have. During a visit to Washington, D.C. as part of the International Leadership Program sponsored by the U.S. State Department, Martinez and 16 other journalists spoke about the press in their countries. He says that many media organizations have taken a softer editorial stand to make sure business stays afloat. Martinez says that Venezuela's president pressures broadcast media companies to not criticize the government or it would take away their license. He says that newspapers are less threatened, but it is still very complicated for journalists to access public information. Colombian President Juan Manuel Santos dissolved the country's domestic intelligence agency, DAS, and announced employees will be transferred to other state offices. The agency was caught spying on presidential opponents, including judges, reporters, and human rights activists during the 2002-2010 administration of former President Alvaro Uribe, Washington's closest ally at the time. Some DAS agents and officials also conspired with extreme-right militias that killed and displaced thousands and persecuted labor activists. Guatemala and Nicaragua both hold presidential elections on Sunday. Guatemala will hold its runoff between Otto Pérez Molina, a former general of the Patriotic Party, and Manuel Valdizón of the renewed Democratic Freedom Party. In Nicaragua, 
Current President Daniel Ortega leads the polls, despite claims that it is unconstitutional for him to run again. Media owner Fabio Gadea and former President Arnoldo Alemán are also running in Nicaragua. This is Vanessa Jesus Gonzari reporting for Latin Pulse. Thanks, Vanessa, for that update on Nicaragua and Guatemala. Now our attention turns to another of Central America's countries, El Salvador. Our next guest, Imena Aguilar, is a reporter for the popular Salvadoran website El Faro, where she has covered El Salvador's Congress and politics. She's been working here in Washington, D.C. recently on projects with the Huffington Post and the International Center for Journalists. Imena Aguilar, welcome to Latin Pulse. Thank you. El Faro, the name of the website where you work, the name roughly translates into English means beacon. So I'm wondering... Lighthouse. Lighthouse. Okay, beacon, lighthouse. So I'm wondering, what type of stories are you working to illuminate for El Salvador? Well, right now, when I left, I was working for... I was producing stories about WikiLeaks. I, I was given the task to read the cables from El Salvador, uh, the United States Embassy in El Salvador, and then make out what's, which stories could come from there. So I've been working on that for about four months now. So you have more WikiLeaks stories that, that are going to come out? Well, right now we've Publish the biggest one. So there's only a couple of small stories left, not that important. For those who haven't read about the um, WikiLeaks cables in El Salvador, obviously WikiLeaks cables have been a big story mm-hmm. worldwide. What's the headline that we should know that happened in El Salvador? Well, probably for the United States, it would be interesting to know that we found um, a series of cables that that show how the United States government was um, pursuing El Salvador's government to send troops, Salvadorian troops, to Afghanistan. And for almost a year, even before the, the 2009 presidential elections, the U.S. State Department was approaching the candidates in order to get this this objective done. So, in August 23, the in August the president announced that we were going to send uh, we were going to send troops to Afghanistan. There were like 20 or some men we were going to send, and he said that that was because of the October 2010. UN agreement to help um, Afghanistan. But we find, find, found out that ever since 2009, they're, they're, they already knew that they were going to send these troops. And, well, we only found out until last August. And, and how did the president react to that revelation? Well, he doesn't talk to us that much. He... Well, for before the rain started, um, the president hadn't talked to the press for quite a while, and he, well, to El Faro, he hasn't given a, an interview ever since he got elected, and and he was elected three years ago. Yeah, uh, this is this is curious to me because uh, we're talking about uh, President Mauricio Funes mm-hmm. of the FMLN 
in El Salvador. And President Funes was a television reporter before he became a politician and was renowned for his investigative reporting and for holding the government up accountable, and accountable. Yeah. And so now he's not talking to the media? This this sounds very strange. Well, he has a very strong character. So sometimes when reporters ask him questions he doesn't like, he will he will like come out really strong and saying that you're wrong, what you're asking is not right. And he, I think it's more like his character than the way, what he used to be. Well, I will tell you that, that from my point of view, mm -hmm. the, the tradition of the FMLN is that they have never had a very good media policy. No. Um, and, and you agree with this. Why? Well, they are very... They are a very structured party, so it's always, for example, with the the congressmen and women, when you ask someone of a subject that they are not supposed to talk about, they w will always say, no, that's, I'm not in charge of that subject, so please talk to this person, which is al almost always someone of a higher rank in the, in the party. But I think that's the... the how the president reacts to media it's not it's not because he's he's the the president who won the elections with the FMLN they're almost up uh, two different things now uh, so really there's a split between the president's office and the party yeah can you explain that to us well ever since he came to office and before after the elections he he shown that he made clear that his decisions were the ones that counted and before the inauguration some of the the FMLN people who had been helping him said some things to the media and he came out and said that they were wrong that only his declarations were the ones that could be that were the ones from the government. And ever since, there, there has been some differences with the, with the FMLN. Mostly in, for example, the FMLN and ARENA um, approved the... ARENA being the right-wing right party in El party, Salvador. Yeah, approved the, the, um, the tobacco law for in order to control tobacco um, being advertised and where you can smoke and where not. And... They they approved it, and then the president um, made some observations that the FMLN didn't agree with. So as a reporter who covers Congress in your country, does the president have a good relationship then with the FMLN body in the Congress? How does that work? Well, there, there are some things they work together they, the FMLN the leadership recognizes that he is not, he does not... He do, being President Funes. Yeah, the, President Funes does not, does not um, agree with the FMLN. They, they have recognized that, that division. And they say, he is the, he, we needed him to, in order to win the elections. But that doesn't mean he is, he is uh, our president this is very interesting, yeah. this, this, this split between 
Mauricio Funes and and the party. I, obviously, he his background is not someone who came up through the party or came up through um, the guerrilla organization that that transferred yeah. to becoming a civil society and political group. And so, please, I think that a couple of months ago we we well we we just published one of these stories that who are the president's friends and well he used to have this um the this group of people who were helping him they were not part of the FMLN but they were his closest advisors and from and this group used to be the the minister of of um finances and some of the people who had helped him during the campaign. But now we found out that this group changed and they are no longer the ones who advise him. And when in the past six months, um, there have been some important decisions made who, and we, we published a story about who were the ones who were there with him. And we find out that these people who are helping him now, um, Miguel Menendez and Herbert Saca, Herbert Saca being the cousin of the last president, who was uh, Antonio Saca from Arena. And that was where we published that, and it, it was called the New Friends of Mauricio, because he's now taking decisions with people that are the complete opposite of what the the people elected. So are you telling us that the Funes administration is shifting from a leftist administration to maybe a centrist administration or even to a conservative administration in their points of view? It's not that, um, I don't think it's much ideological change or political change. It's more like, because we have seen very questionable decisions being made from the president, such as the ones the last government did. And what sort of questionable decisions, um, in your view, as someone who covers politics, has the president made? Well, for example, um, in, I think it was, I don't remember the exact date, but the Congress passed a law to, um, in order to tie uh, the hands of the judicial power the the magistrate from the constitutional court and everybody thought that the president was going to veto that but we find out that the at the same day the congress passed that law he approved it so it became it became law instantly and these magistrates have have been doing some interesting work who the who most people have agreed with agree with. So um, we have very little time left, but is there something else about covering Congress and covering the president that you think people here in the United States need to know about in in your work in El Salvador? Well, I think it is very important to know that, well, for example, we have, during the WikiLeaks, I found, we found a story that uh, mayor, uh, one of the biggest, from the biggest cities in the in El Salvador, told the embassy about how corrupt the the parties who 
which he had gone through were. So we we did some investigation about that, and the small parties in El Salvador characterized for selling their votes, or well, not l we don't have, we don't have proof of that being literal, but they exchanged their votes in, for favors. So it's we don't have very strong institutions, and there is no pol political parties law that they have to they don't have the obligation to show who are financing their campaigns so that's that's very that's a very weak thing in El Salvador because we don't know who is financing these parties these small parties who are have very questionable actions and with the drug trafficking cartels coming to Central America, that's a very worrying situation. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Perhaps on another visit, Jimena Aguilar, you'll come back and, and tell us more. Jimena Aguilar of Alfaro in El Salvador, a popular website there. Thank you for joining us on Latin Paul. Thank you for having me. A restless energy blows across the globe. The desire for human rights. Yet every day, people are tortured, imprisoned, executed, or disappeared, simply for their identity or their beliefs. That's why Amnesty International speaks out. To protect people's basic human rights. To change the sounds of suffering. To the sounds of freedom. Call 1-800-AMNESTY. It's your human right. 1-800-AMNESTY. As we heard earlier, Guatemalans go to the polls this weekend to decide between two right-wing candidates for president. Recently, economist Ricardo Parientos, a former vice minister of finance in Guatemala, visited Washington, D.C. and took time to speak with us about his views concerning the elections. Uh, on September 11, uh, I, I, I know that this, this is not a good uh, date for the U.S., but we have the first round of elections on September 11, and uh, uh, at this point, we are waiting for the second round, which is going to happen on November 6th. Uh, after over um, 10 candidates, uh, there are two finals. And uh, I have no pr personal preference for any, two, for any of these two uh, final candidates because uh, it has been a little bit uh, um, a complicated process because one of the main pre-candidates uh, the former first lady who divorced President Colom uh, was ruled out of the process, was leave uh, aside because a uh, rule of the Constitution, Constitutional Court. Uh, in Guatemala, there is a constitutional prohibition for the uh, wife or any uh, relative of the president for run for the presidency. But I think the main issues of her proposal uh, are... I mean, are the best for, for a country uh, that 50% uh, of children uh, has any uh, some kind of nutrition problem. Uh, you know, it's not that easy to think that one of each two Guatemalan children uh, has a, 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 a severe problem of, of nutrition. You don't think that either of the two candidates... Uh Otto Perez Molina or Manuel Baldizon has a has a solution to this particular nutrition, hunger, poverty problem in Guatemala? They have proposals, but in my opinion, 
these proposals lack one uh, very, very important com uh, element. Um, Guatemala has a chronic problem in fiscal policy. Uh, resor state resources are extremely low. Uh, the tax board in, in the country uh, in 2007 was 12.1 uh, of GDP, and this was the historical high. At this moment is 10.8 uh, of GDP, the lowest in the region. So uh, candidates avoid talking about uh, fiscal policy, how to, to get the resources in order to, to finance any social policy. Well, since we're talking about statistics and maybe context, usually Guatemala competes, unfortunately, for the bottom in Latin America, Haiti being the poorest country in the hemisphere, Nicaragua and Guatemala usually fight it out for that next position. Um, maybe I'm off on those statistics, but that really is part of the issue in Guatemala. Well, you know, Guatemala is not a poor country. Uh, it's the largest economy in the region. Uh, it has uh, it was the only it was the only country in the region that, in the middle of the crisis, didn't uh, suffer a, a technical recession. It, it, it mean by negative uh, growth rate, but the problem is inequality. There there is a lot of wealth in very very few hands. So uh, the 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 elites the elites uh, ruling the country and exercising the the the, the biggest amounts of power were afraid or they are really afraid of any proposal in order to change this order of things. The statu quo is that they are enjoying a, a, a privileged life. So what is the, the incentive to renounce to these privileges? So they, they exercise a very, very strong policy in order to prevent any change. So this is, this is, um, this, this situation requires Politics and policies, and um, the, these elections, I think, they are rich on uh, proposals in order to 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 do some politics, uh, but to keep the same policies. I, I do want to talk about inequality, and perhaps uh, later in this interview or in a later interview about that. But I'm glad you brought us back to elections, and just for some context for our listeners, um, the Cologne administration really the first left-wing administration in modern Guatemalan history since the 1950s, uh, and certainly since the very long war and civil problems that Guatemala has suffered through in the intervening decades, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, why is it that we don't see anyone really representing that left point of view in the electoral decision-making here in this particular election? Well, that is a very good question. Uh, in first place, I think uh, Coloma administration uh, is it's really moderate. It's, it's really, really um, weak in, 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 in its po political position. It is more left-centered than left. And the thing is uh, that um, after the war, uh, for those uh, who 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 doesn't know the, the 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 Guatemalan recent history? We suffered a very long civil war, 36 years of civil war, and uh, this was um, low intensity a conflict in Central America in, in the frame of the Cold War between uh, a, a, um, extreme 
uh, right governments against extreme left guerrillas. So I think uh, people in Guatemala uh, really uh, saw this conflict as, as a foreign thing, and they didn't feel about it. They, they want to live better. That's it. Uh, after the war, uh, the left guerrillas, uh, as in other countries like in El Salvador and Nicaragua, uh, formed a political part party but didn't success. People didn't get uh, by the idea of a left, a really, a really left party in Guatemala. First, because an extreme degree of internal division uh, between the left, uh, the leftist expressions in Guatemala is not the same than in El Salvador. In El Salvador, the, the ex-guerrilla is, is, is ruling the country at this point. In Guatemala, uh, it wasn't able to um, integrate a solid and cohesioned uh, political force. But by the other hand, there is a lot of perceptions, what people really believe. And um, we can start to think uh, very complicated things like education degree in the population. But if you read the papers and you listen to the radio in Guatemala, uh, it's quite difficult that you are going to, to, to think that the left is a good idea. It's a, it's, a, it's a really bombing people with uh, uh, ideas uh, more identified with the, with the right. So the media plays a strong, a strong uh, uh, role in this perception building. And in that perception building, how is Otto Perez Molina being talked about, being framed? Because um, he is, at least in this country, what would be considered a controversial candidate for president, whether he's linked to the human rights abuses of the Civil War period or not is somewhat controversial here. How is he being framed there as the ultimate winner? Well, again, I believe that this is a question of perceptions. I mean, nobody can deny that Guatemala is suffering a huge problem of violence and crime. If you ask people what is the worst problem of the country, they are going to answer is violence is lack of security, and this is why the strong fist offer, political offer of Perez Molina is 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 is, uh, is winning a, a lot of of adepts. Of, of but if you ask people what are their problems, not the countries, but theirs, uh, they are going to 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 answer that it is uh, unemployment, high prices. There are more uh, economic or a, a type of problem. So the media has um, exaggerated a lot the level of violence and crime. It is true that we have been suffering horrendous crimes, but not at the scale of the perception. So when this candidate is offering iron fist and uh, uh, security at any cost, even violate, violating human rights, people doesn't care. They only want the solution. And in Perez Molina's party, don't they use a fist as one of their symbols? That, that is the logo. It's an iron fist in an in a orange-white, uh, remembering the orange movements of Eastern Europe and Ukraine. Uh, that was the, exactly the time where they uh, designed the logo. And the, and the iron fist policy, what's called the Mano Duro policy, has been one to fight gangs, fight narco-traficantes and, and others in the region. Very controversial because it 
cuts down on personal rights. It allows the state more invasive policies, does it not? Controversial but ineffective. Let's let's see the results of iron fist policies in Honduras. It didn't work. But um, the perception of of violence and lack of security uh, is generated in a state of desperation in, in population, and they want it quick. And and this is dangerous, you know, because the expectation of voters is that if General Perez Molina, a former military guy, is going to fight uh, uh, crime, and in the in the period of three or six months. Uh, things are going to change. And and this is a very risky business for, for Perez Molina because without enough financial resources to, to cover the cost of, of security policy, uh, maybe they are going to, to face uh, a lack of popularity in, in, in the second half of 2012 because he is not going to deliver the, mil- the miracle that people are expecting for that time. Well, thank you very much for joining us today. Ricardo Barrientos an economist with the Central American Institute of Fiscal Studies in Guatemala, joining us on Latin Pulse. Thank you again. Latin Pulse is available on the web and via iTunes. And to see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. And if you'd like to write us with your reactions to our program, please send us an email. You can find us at latinpulse.gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, dot gmx.com. Thank you for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For associate producer Vanessa Jesus Gonzati and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucha nosotros vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2011, Las Rocas Productions.